Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find three separate speaker feeds with over 200 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for all these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I'd now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Len. My name is Len. I'm a compulsive overeater. Tomorrow is Father's Day, and I'm, hi everybody, and I'm not going to my usual meeting, and I said to my wife that I want to go up to this meeting tonight because I'm not going to go to Serenity Sunday, which I usually do on Sunday morning, so I'm here. I did not come up here to speak at a meeting. I came here to get a meeting, and now I'm giving a meeting. I don't know, whatever it is. I uh, will be, if I live to next May 11th, 80 years old. If I uh, live to next March 20th, I'll have 20 years of abstinence. And uh, I've been coming to OA since February 23rd, 1976. And if you look in the old, the old, old, old meditation book, the I don't know if it's the Al-Anon or the uh, AA meditation book, that's the one that has the page about being sick and tired of being sick and tired. And that was pretty much my story. I served in the Army 1952-3-4 in the Korean War, not in Korea, but I served in the Army. And I came back weighing 220 pounds, and my parents thought I was uh, particularly heavy, sent me to the weight doctor who did the most wonderful thing to me. He got me hooked on speed for about 14 years till they changed the law in New York that you couldn't get the stuff without a prescription, and that's when I stopped uh, doing speed. But it was very interesting, because I was either hyper and on a diet, or I was whatever it was. And each time I would stop, the numbers got bigger and bigger and bigger, and they finally got over 300. I came to California in 1972 from New York to work in broadcasting. It was uh, a whole different, <laughs> wonderful life. Uh, you could live comfortably on unemployment here better than you could in New York, Uh, and you didn't have to wear as much clothing. Anyway, um, I found out very early on, I got a shot in the ribs from my sponsor while they were having uh, elections, and my arm went up, and I started a career of service to which I'd been just about every meeting activity. I've been in the intergroup of the region. I've been a delegate to World Service, etc., and if anybody's here long enough to remember the shows that... uh, I was involved with, uh, you know, I even forgave Morley for dropping a plot line in 1986. Anybody know what dropping a plot line means? That means that everybody came up to me and said, your story doesn't make sense. And I said, it made sense. He just forgot to say that he was, uh, that he was the devil or whatever it was. Anyway, uh, but I forget. On February 23rd, 1976, I had gone away to Vegas for uh, Washington's birthday, they used to call it in those days, and uh, uh, I went with a, a woman. We had a particularly difficult time. We uh, did not function very well together. We did not speak very well together. Uh, we did a lot of buffets together, gambled more than I needed to gamble. We did a lot of reckless things, and since I was uh, in excess of 300 pounds, I decided that I was going to uh, go back to a commercial, a commercial weight losing group. I would have said Weight Watchers, but we don't say those things anymore, do we? I don't, I don't know. A, I don't know. 
And that afternoon, I got a letter. I got a letter from my brother. My brother uh, was very much my higher power for many years. And he said, if you're ever going to get your head out of your ass, or some kind of words like that, can we record words like that? Uh, he said, you might try Overeaters Anonymous. It's supposed to be pretty good. So I called and I found out that the World Service headquarters of, of Overeaters Anonymous on February 23, 1976, was on Motor Avenue in Palms. Does anybody remember that? And this was terrific. Because I lived a block from Motor Avenue in Palms. And I was very excited because one of my huge resentments all of my life was that I always carried lunch to school. And it was never enough. And I always wanted to be able to go with the kids who went home for lunch. Don't ask me why. That was just the way this head worked. And I went to go to a meeting, and I found out there wasn't a meeting there. There was a newcomer's meeting at Beverly Hills High School at 7 o'clock on Monday. And I went to the Beverly Hills Newcomers Meeting on February 23, 1976. And I sat there, and I heard people say that they were compulsive overeaters. And all of a sudden, after 45, 44 some odd years of life, I found myself to be something. I wasn't a weirdo. I wasn't a strange. I was a compulsive overeater. And I will tell you, from that day to this, for 34 years, a couple of months, whatever it is, I have never felt alone again. Lonely? Yeah. I've had my lonely moments. I've had my lonely episodes. But I never felt alone. I never felt I had two heads. I never felt I was, I was nuts. I was somebody like a whole bunch of other people in the world. And I wasn't the only person in the world who ate it all fast so he didn't have to share with anyone, who snuck American cheese slices in his underwear into the bedroom, who went out to get six, got 12, and came home with two. I was hearing people telling all of these kinds of stories, and I wasn't the only one who ate this way. I remember working somewhere where there were maybe 15 vending machines in the basement, and I could not walk by these places without cha with change in my pocket. It would be all gone. I would always like, and I was not the only person in the world who ate like this. Other people ate like this. And my mother used to say, he didn't gain it, but I fed him whatever it was. And she was a lousy cook, God rest her soul. <laughs> so, I bought your gray sheet. It cost a dime in those days. Later I bought a gold sheet because I was her gold sheet sponsor in 1977. You remember that? Yes. Okay. With gold sheet you could eat bread. With gray sheet you couldn't eat bread. That was the difference. Anyway, you did what you did. Uh, I was dieting. You called it abstaining or whatever. And after two weeks people were asking about a sponsor. So I asked the secretary of the meeting to be a sp my sponsor because he was a big shot. I figured the secretary of the meeting was a big shot. <laughs> and uh, this helped me get into believe with God because it was such a fit because there was nothing about us I was divorced with a child he'd never been married I mean there were just a lot of things I was I weighed four times what he weighed etc but so far as what came out of the mouth it was a direct pipeline from from God and this guy gave me some very, very good foundation and a good basis of a program, and I'm very, very grateful to him. He left in the early 80s, I don't know, 
Last I heard he was in Colorado, but you know, he, was a, he was a good friend. About four months into the program, five months into the program, he said, aren't you interested at all in working the steps? I had lost weight very, very quickly, like guys do when on gray sheet. It just melts off of you. Younger. Now it doesn't work. As easily. <laughs> and he said, aren't you going to do anything about working the steps? I said, well, well you know. <laughs> and he said, do you own a big book? I said, well, you know. Big book is six dollars and twenty-five cents. That discretionary income—it's not an easy thing, etc. I went fishing that weekend. I got into a poker game on the boat, and I won six dollars and twenty-five. <laughs> I always considered that my first miracle. I still have that. Old. It was a second edition, and it's crumbling and what have you. But I still—and it doesn't have acceptance. It doesn't have page four forty-nine. It's got a story named Joe's Woes in it. But anyway, that—that that was my my first miracle, if you will, in Overeaters Anonymous. And I worked, and I did, and I, and I whatever, and I got involved. Uh, somebody knew I was working as a writer, and he said, why don't you write a show for our convention, our first Region 2 convention, 1978. I wrote a show with a woman, and, and you know, it, it's very, very funny. Everybody thought, I took, I took acting classes, I took writing classes, I worked in radio, took all kinds of classes at New York University, um, and I came to OA and did all of my writing in OA and all of my acting in OA, and as a result of this, when my mother died at age 92, and we were talking about it and how uh, dissatisfied she seemed to be in life, you know, I'm taking mother's inventory, you know, but anyways how dissatisfied she seemed to be and how empty she was. She was a wonderful actress, but in her day, you had two kids, a husband, you stayed home, and you did whatever you did. And she was kind of bitter about all of her kids and her grandchildren getting involved in, in, in performing. And uh, I said, I'm not going to go that way. I'm not going to go out that way. And I was 62 already when she died. And I went out and had pictures taken. I auditioned. I got in the union. I did work, etc. But all of this is part of my gratitude toward Overeaters Anonymous because all of the stuff came from being in OA shows and, and, and doing these things and, and learning these things from being in OA shows. And I was just very, very grateful about all of that, uh, all of that stuff. So, let's see. What, should I say the things people want to hear? I get up in the morning and I read, <laughs> and then I meditate, and I busted three sponsees for licking an envelope without calling it in. No. No, I didn't do that. I, I want to tell you that I've been your delegate to world service on many, many, many occasions, and over the last couple of years, if you knew how many people came up to me and said, you're from Los Angeles, yes, I am, do you know so-and-so? And I'd say where do you know Michael from Ontario? And I'd say, we heard him speak on this particular, you know, on these tapes. And it's fantastic the job that these people who put this meeting together and put the tapes together did and what you're doing for people. And we take it for granted. It's 5.30 on a Saturday. I don't know how many of you people have dates later or where you're going. Uh, I need a ride home, Andy. Uh, and uh, what have you. But to run into people who commute 60 miles in each direction one day a week to get to a meeting in the United States of America, in the state of California, is unbelievable. Because if you want, 
you can be at a meeting at what today it's a 7.30 meeting today I don't know but it's 9 o'clock meetings today there are meetings all day it, it, it is unbelievable and yet these people who get one meeting and the phone meetings are very valuable to them the telephone meetings are very valuable and the internet meetings and, and all of that are very very valuable and they hear Jerry Speaker Arlene Speaker Walter Speaker Morley Speaker <laughs> I have a picture of us from 1985 pushing a cable car in, 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 in San Francisco. I don't know. You weren't in the 1985 show. I don't know how we did that. But anyway, we go back a long time. Um, don't ask me how I work this particular step. I... I call my sponsor every morning at 7 o'clock, 7.10, tell him what I'm going to eat. I talk about what's on my mind, what I've written, what I whatever, etc. Once in a blue moon, he says, uh, do you think you need an amends? And I go up to somebody and I say, hey, I was particularly shitty the other day. I want to apologize for what I said. 87% of the time the answer is, what are you talking about? 13%, you know, it's uh, okay. It's interesting. Gary and I had a conversation. Did he leave already? Uh, now i got to resent it. Anyway, <laughs> because we both bumped into this, each other this morning to make amends to each other. It's very, very funny. Anyway. Uh, so I do a lot of things after the fact nowadays because that's how I live my life. In 1983, I was doing a show for the birthday party. I was chairman of the birthday party. I was doing the show for the birthday party. A woman called up, and she wanted to be on the committee. We are living together 25 years now, my, my wife and I. 20, the rewards of service, see? Uh, so anyway, living with someone who understands the program and knows what's going on makes it a hell of a lot easier. You know, we also have two televisions and two bathrooms, which are the greatest things for a relationship. <laughs> uh, uh, my sponsor didn't tell me that. I, I learned that in, in New York. Uh, anyway, so a lot of the things that I do in my life are things that I do that I've been doing for 34 years that are part of my program. I still say stupid things sometimes, and I still have to apologize for saying stupid things sometimes. But generally, I'm not saying as much as, as many stupid things as I used to say. It's because nobody will talk to me anymore, but anyway. No, that's a bad joke. Or is it? Um, what do you want to talk about? I'm going, my son is taking me to the Magic Castle. My son is a high school teacher who's also a magician. And he's taking me to the Magic Castle for my uh, for Father's Day, and they're taking him and the other father-in-law. So it's a nice family type thing. And I got to tell you, when I came into OA, he and I were estranged. His mother was married to somebody else. They lived in New York. I lived here, etc. And when I worked the program, and I found out that I had an opportunity and a need to make a participation. I made a participation. I called him in New York. I wrote him in New York, etc. We have a relationship today. And on Thursday, I don't know, I don't recognize anybody who was here on Thursday, I went to my granddaughter's fifth grade graduation. That, my friends, is what my mother would call Marcus. That was, that was a wonderful, wonderful day for me. It was just 
wonderful. They just come from God knows where and they grow and they grow and they grow and they grow. And um, anyway, it was a very, very loving time. And I felt good about it. What else can I talk about? What else is going on? You know, somebody said, they say to me, what's going on lately? My doctor is still alive. I'm keeping my doctor alive. And, um, I'm not getting any younger. You know, but there's just less involvement than there has been. There's certainly less tragedy than there, than there, there was when I was young. Oh, it was terrible. It was this, it was that. It is a very, very difficult thing when you get to be into your late 70s, pushing 80 that a lot of your friends get sick and die. And you hear about this all of the time. And it gets to be, you know, that's how it goes. It is sad. It is too bad. Am I clean with these people? Do I have to get up and talk to this guy before he goes? Uh, Because I'll tell you all, I don't know what your experience is with making amends, but get them while they're alive. It's a hell of a lot easier Get them while they're alive to go up to these people and say, when I was this, I did that, and I was wrong, and I'm sorry. Or whatever words you want to say in your life. And there was a woman named Doris who was around for a long, long time. She died at 96, and she told me that 30-odd years ago. And I said, what the hell is she talking about? And I'm glad I got with my mother and my father before they left, because it just was easier. It was good. Why do you do all of these things? Why do we do these dumb things? So we don't eat. Why do we take care of this this pleasantries, these whatever you want to call them, so that I don't have to say, God, if only I had said my brother whatever it was, I wouldn't want to call him four pizzas said then. But I did go to Wisconsin and talk to my brother while he was dying and we, we said what we had to say to each other because that's the way the life works. It's a wonderful opportunity to be here in our way. You don't have to see anybody here tomorrow or you can talk to them every day for the rest of your life. It's an interesting combination, whatever works for you. But uh, I just find that uh, Andy and I can talk about the troubles of University of Southern California, or Leonard and I can talk about whether Sam Ohio is a better football team or Beverly Hills High School is a, is a better team. He thinks Beverly Hills is, but what does he know? Anyway, have I said anything? Have I made any sense at all? You get an opportunity here to accept yourself, have fun, just because somebody who was pissed off at their life told you that you were a jerk, a stupid, ugly, graceless, whatever it might be, doesn't mean that's true. Mm-hmm. It's what they tell us, and we buy into these things. Mm-hmm. And fortunately, we have 12-step groups where we can talk and write and confide and hear somebody else, and we can say, no kidding, that happened to me. And what did you do? I told the person to go themselves. Did they? Oh no, they never do that. But they, it's true. Anyone you tell goes screw themselves.
never goes and screws himself, even though it feels good. <laughs> Lady, you got to make amends for it. That doesn't feel so good. I don't know. Uh, anyway, so if I'm still alive next week, you'll see me at meetings, whatever. I don't know if I'm going to be in the show at the conference this year, the, uh, at the national convention this year. I've done other things. I've got a piece of material, but I, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do it. Um, anybody got any questions? Anybody want to ask me anything about anything? Yes, Leonard. <laughs> Thank you, Leonard. Thank you for a lot of uh, things I didn't know about you, my teacher. Um, I'm coming up with a big zero birthday, and uh, and this aging thing is a lot of my mind, and I'm just wondering how has your higher power, the program, helped you with this aging process? What are my choices? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm serious. Can you repeat the question? Hmm? He asked what he's coming up on a big zero birthday. Uh, how does my higher power help you with help this? me with with this? And um, I said, what choice do I have? You know, I'm, I'm uh, so far so far. If I don't live to be eighty next May, then I'll be dead, and I won't have any choice. So I accept it, and I. I understand that um, I don't run as fast as I used to. I understand that I also don't eat as much as I used to. Uh, so, you know, th- there, there is a lot of things. But I am, I'm enjoying my life. I, I, I go to school. You know, I know you're teaching. I go to school. I take classes with people my age. Uh, I don't hang around. It's interesting. See, memories. Um, when my father retired, they lived. We, the family had a house in Woodstock, New York, the famous Woodstock, New York. And um, he went up to a friend of his who had had a dress shop, and the guy sold the dress shop. And he said to the guy, "Why, oh, Harry, what do you do all day?" The guy says, oh, "I sit and watch uh, soap operas." And my father whispered to me, "Never in my life will I sit home and watch soap operas." And I said to myself. Never in my life will I sit home and watch soap operas. Because, it, anyway, life is a soap opera. What do I know? Uh, you know? So I go to school. I'm with people my age. We're on creative writing classes. I take a singing class. But I'm, I'm wonderful. I love it. Uh, and it keeps me busy. And uh, it keeps me going. And it makes me happy to get out of bed every morning. Arlene. Thanks, Lynn. How did you deal with all these years to keep coming back and to deal with the issue of perfectionism versus being human and uh, staying involved in the program and dealing with your perfectionism? I took a professional attitude toward the shows that we put on, realized that I did not have the talent and gave it our best shot, and everybody loved it and raved. So I acted as if, and it worked for me. Over 34 years, a saint named Lila, who left us too soon, used to say, act as if. Other people in other programs said, fake it until you make it. But whatever it did, I acted as if I was good enough all my life. I was brought up to believe that it wasn't good enough. And all of a sudden I figured the people who were judging me were using too strict a book. I hope that answers your question. 
we have choices. They told me that very early on in the program is that I have choices. And if I had listened to the voices, I would never would have made the second day. And one of the things that I am most grateful in my life is that in finding Overeaters Anonymous is the major contribution to the fact that I am still alive, pushing 80. Anyone else? Lynn. Shall we sing? Yes. Mm-hmm. Sasha. So, what is your food plan if you have one? And if you don't have one, why not? Well, uh, among the things that I am treated for in my life is diabetes. So I don't eat uh, a lot of things that other people eat. Uh, I don't eat, quote, refined sugar. I do eat some bread. But I eat small portions. I eat three times a day. I have a light yogurt at bedtime. And that's what I eat. And if, by accident, I should get something into my head, like my daughter does things on Passover, my daughter-in-law does things on Passover, you can't believe, I don't beat myself. I do not beat myself. I have had friends in the program who, when the numbers went high on the meeting, on the meter, that's for measuring your blood sugar when you're diabetic, um, would, uh, you know, proceed to beat themselves. I've screwed up again. And... I will not do that. I've got a disease that makes me want to eat all the time. If I thought for 34 years or the 19, 20 years of, of abstinence and claiming that I did it perfectly any of this time, who would I be kidding? You know, well, we we got a we got a tough uh, we got a tough road, road to go. We got to walk the tiger three times a day, six times a day, nine times a day, whatever whatever it might be. I had a wonderful abstinence for for a while. It was 14 random snacks a day. No. <laughs> As I write humor, see, etc. Um, so I hope I answered your question. So basically, I call my food in the morning and I eat what I tell them I'm calling in. And I eat the same places, eat pretty much the same thing. You know, seven days, seven lunches a week, I could probably have seven of the same things. You know, not seven of the same things. I'll have it on Monday one week and Tuesday another week, etc. There was another hand. Hi, Annie. Hello. Um, thank you for sharing. Um, how do you cultivate your relationship with your higher power? Like, how do I cultivate? How do I cultivate my my relationship with my higher power? Well, 34 years ago, I didn't believe in a power greater than myself, and they told me to go to the Pacific Ocean and tell the waves to stop breaking on the shore or to stand in front of the 44 bus, which 34 years ago ran on Beverly Boulevard, now it's different, and tell the bus to stop. And I found out that these were two powers greater than myself. So I then started to act as if there was a power greater than myself, and I went along with it. I found out that burning bushes don't talk to me, so I talked to a lot of people. I talked to people who had experience in areas like when I started with my sponsor 19 years ago. He was married 31 years. He's now married 50 years. He's a grandfather. He uh, is a baseball fan. He had worked in broadcasting. We had a lot of things in common, and so I would uh, talk to him about these things and 
get his opinion. So I don't know when the switch got flicked, but one day I knew that I, I, I knew that there was a, a higher power. I knew there was a higher power who was interested in me, that cared about me. And uh, so I read, I talk, I uh, write, and uh, I, I can't say at what point I believed. I just believed in, in higher power. Also, one of the things that my sponsor has me doing is uh, gratitude lists. Uh, I am very big on gratitude lists and what I am grateful for. And it is very important for me to concentrate on what I am grateful for. And the biggest, as I said, is I'm still alive. I'm still here. It's good or as bad a program as I might work in my life. I got you, Michael. Um, thanks, Len, uh, for your share. Jen, Len, can you talk a little bit about your writing? Do you journal? Do you use just the column format? In the what, what do you use in your writing? How do you employ your tools? Diary. I have a, I have a book, and I just write. I could not sleep last night. How come I didn't sleep last night? God, how come I didn't sleep last night? And then it comes. But I write, I ha- yes, a journal. I guess you'd call it a journal. I don't write every day. Some days I sleep very well. I feel very good. I review my day, like it says on what is it, page seven? Whatchamacallit? I review my day, and if my day was good, I'm asleep. Liza. Thank you, dear. Um, do you consider that you had a spiritual awakening as a result of working the steps? And if so, what did that look like for you? You ever uh, start on a uh, a new job and you're asking people questions all the time, every day, six times a day? They say, you asked me that yesterday, etc. And one day you don't ask questions anymore. You know instinctively what to do. That's what happened to me in my life. I don't remember the specific day that it happened, but I know that all of a sudden, schmuck, you don't have to do that anymore. Sir. What is a schmuck? <laughs> I'm going to have to make amends for this, but you're sitting next to him. <laughs> anyway, uh, I think I'm going to, if, if no one has any other questions, thank you all for being, yes, I'm going to. When the food is up for you at times, and uh, how do you take like steps once you're on a daily basis? When the food is up for me? Yeah, like when times when you struggle with food again, like what do you do, and how do you? I remember pain. <laughs> I remember pain, and I say to myself now, chances are very large that the taste of carnitas hasn't changed in 19 years. Okay? Maybe it did. 
But do you remember how nauseous and sick you got when you ate those carnitas? Yes, I, I do remember. I think I'll pass. Okay? I think I'll pass. Anyway, thank you all. I came, I came to go to a meeting tonight. I really did not expect to do shtick for 30 minutes or whatever. Thank you, Walter. Thank you, everybody. Thank you.